0: All right, and welcome everyone back to the HFW Shop Talk podcast. I'm joined today by a person who I think is a great first uh, guest to have on the second side of the podcast, uh, which is our more personal side where we get into the stories of the people and the business uh, that have gotten the company to where it is today. And so that man is Eliza Casillas. Eliza, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And I guess before we dive in, one thing I'd, I want to talk about is because I know uh, Elijah, this isn't necessarily your favorite thing to do, but I, I I'm really appreciative to you for for doing this and um, explaining a little bit about why. Um, you know, I, I think obviously it's no secret right now that you know every company like us is having trouble finding good people, and so you know, one of the ideas with the podcast is to just tell people's story. And, you know, I think there's a lot of really fascinating stories here at HFW, a lot of, you know, things that you might not have known about people and um that make this company hum. And so I'm really appreciative. Um, you know, I think we have to do a you know, continue to do a, a good job and get even better at telling our story so that we can help attract and grow and develop the next generation of, of uh of people here at HFW, whether that's in the office, whether that's in the shop, you know, really everywhere. And so um it's it's an important thing. It's something that I don't think we've always focused that much on. And so Eliza, I'm thankful for you for, to being here.
1: You're welcome, Jack.
0: And so to get into it a little bit, you know, I don't we'll obviously talk a little bit about HFW, but I want to talk a little bit more about you personally and uh, you know, kind of dive into your story a little bit because I know you've had a really interesting path um that you know I know some of, but I don't even know a ton of it. And so you know, we were talking, I think, a couple of weeks ago that you joined the company in March of 1999. Yes. So that was a couple months before I was even born. Um, not to make you feel old, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to, before we get into, you know, after March 1999, I want to talk about, you know, what you were doing before then, what, what your life was like and, you know, where you came to HFW from and kind of, you know, what your childhood was like and what led you to eventually walk in the doors of HFW.
1: Well, um, I was actually I was actually born in Puerto Rico, and my parents moved um, here to Buffalo. Um, as far as um, growing up, you know, I grew up here in this neighborhood, Schaefer Projects, Riverside. Um, so I'm actually from over here. Um, growing up, I used to play here hockey in the parking lot at nighttime with the guys. Um, my kid friends, childhood friends. Um, so it's really interesting how I ended up working here in HFW, growing up right there in the projects. Um, so, yeah, um, then, um, like, um, I, uh, before I worked here, I worked there at Parform, as a machine operator. They did, uh, the place is actually closed down now. Um, they did um, um, stuff for the car industry. Um, the foams and stuff like that for like the dashboards, the seats and stuff like that. Um, Then I worked there for a certain amount of years. Before that, I used to work at the airport. Um, It's like a sky cab loading and unloading the planes, luggages and stuff like that. So it's it's okay, you know, working at the airport but it wasn't really something that I really wanted to do. No, I always wanted to do more um, with my hands and you know, run machines and stuff like that. That's how I ended up at PowerFoam. And then eventually I ended up working here. You know, I went through a temp agency. Um, and I worked here for so many months and then got hired by the company. And I've been here ever since.
0: So that's kind of interesting that, you know, you grew up in the shape of projects, which um, for anyone that's not familiar, is kind of like a couple hundred yards in front of us. Uh, but you didn't. Your your path wasn't directly to HFW, even though you'd been. You know, you probably were somewhat familiar with it. You know, always been here. Um, so your your path was kind of winding before you you got here. Was that something that was ever in your mind, or just kind of happened that way? No,
1: it just kind of happened that way. Um, definitely kind of happened that way. I never ever thought I would be working here, but yeah, in the long run, yeah, I'm here. You know, but I wasn't in. I I used to see the guys. You hear the machines running, you know, when I used to be outside in the playground playing. At that time, they had a playground. They still have it, though, I believe. But it's not in use now. But, yeah, still we hear the machines and stuff running and playing with my cousins. Even my cousin worked here at one point. That He was also surprised that he ended up working here <laughs> also, you know. So, like I said, we used to hang out in the parking lot, play hockey, and – and used to, the fire escape that was down there, we used to hang from it, you know, <laughs> try to go up and down the stairs. So, yeah, it's interesting how I ended up here.
0: Yeah, I, I know there's been a lot of guys, even now, that have kind of grown up in the neighborhood or live around here and, and have eventually come on and, and worked here. And I think it's a special relationship, even as the, the, the neighborhood's changed a lot. I mean, you know, what just maybe for people that are a little bit younger, what was the neighborhood like back then? Was it similar or has it changed a lot? Oh, well, it's changed a lot.
1: I, um, in the projects, you was able to sleep with the door unlocked, the storm door open, just the lock on the storm door to let that breeze in in the middle of the night. Now we can't, can't do that anymore. So it's changed a lot.
0: Yeah, it's changed a lot. But we still have a number of guys that live in the neighborhood. Yes. And I think that's uh, for a small business. I think that's something that's, you know, it, it still has that, that mentality. I think there's still kind of that tight knit community and, um, you know, I think it's pretty unique. You know, you, you see a lot of these big companies, they have these big complexes and, you know, we're still very much a part of the neighborhood and um, try to be a, a good neighbor just as much as anyone else. And-
1: definitely. I, I still have family in this neighborhood and I still love this neighborhood. Um, so neighborhood is still good. Um, there's still people that I've seen here. I'm 45 that I've seen here when I was seven, eight years old. Um, and I still see them, you know, walking down the street or hanging on the porch. You know, I do wave, beep the horn. Um, I have cousins, uncles that still live in the neighborhood. You know, it's still a good neighborhood.
0: Yeah. You know? yeah I mean, I think there's been a lot of turnover, but it's, it's still, you're seeing now, especially in the past several years, even, you know, a lot of immigrant families. I mean, your family was an immigrant family and people are coming in here and, and still, um, you know, still have the idea of the American dream. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I mean, it's really encouraging, you know, because sometimes I think you look at the headlines and you look at what – and you think, oh, it's, you know, the, the city of Buffalo or, or our neighborhood, it, it, you know. Yeah, there are challenges. But I think there, there's a lot of good, too, when you look a little bit deeper, when you, you drive through the streets and you see these people that are starting new businesses yeah. um, that are working hard to achieve that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's still some good out there, you know. And um, as you can see, the neighborhood – I've seen that Ontario Street, a couple businesses has opened and they're still keeping it moving. You know, just, just still keeping it moving.
0: Yeah. And I think that's important. And so, you know, I guess to, to transition into a little bit of, you know, your time in HFW. So, you know, now you're in a leadership position, but I don't want to jump ahead too far. But, you know, how, how did those early days, how did your childhood days growing up around here and then even maybe your jobs at the airport or a Parafoam, how did that influence who you are today as a leader and as a, as a dad?
1: Um, the experience working with people, um, great people that has taught me when you have the right person in your life, they guide you to do the right thing and they support you. That's what has motivated me. Uh, to move forward in life, um, as a fi- as a father also, and as a worker, you no, know, it's the people that you revolve around you. It's who makes you.
0: How How old is your oldest
1: child? My oldest son is twenty eight.
0: <laughs> how did being a father change you as as a as a person, as employee, and then as a as a boss?
1: Um, it changed me. Well, as father, young, it's a big responsibility becoming a father at sixteen years old. <laughs> but um, it changed me and motivated me in life, you know, to work hard and so that I could support my family. You know, so yeah, that's definitely a motivation. You know, it gives you motivates to motivate you to be more hungry in life, so that way you could do it for your kids and your family. You know, so yeah. Being a father at young age, yeah, sure did motivate me. Yeah.
0: Well, we got a couple of young guys right now that are first-time fathers or had their second kid. It, what When they're asking you for advice, what what are you telling them?
1: Be there for your kids. Just don't be there for your kids. Your kids come first. Before anything, work, anything else. You know, that's the way I see it.
0: Well, I feel like especially now and, and we're going to get into this a little bit you know the, the thermal spray shop used to be you know a bunch of veterans guys that had been here for almost since the beginning of the company and now it's you know a lot of those guys have retired it's almost completely changed so you you're a father outside of work but you're almost like a father at work too in some senses and I think it's interesting to see kind of how that's evolved but can you talk about the challenge of that cuz you you know I, I would assume There are challenges of leading a bunch of veterans, you know, they're very good at what they do, but probably maybe a little bit, I would assume, you know, they like to do things their way, but how has that transition been for you to where, okay, now you're almost like a father figure to these guys. And um, a lot of them are coming in and hard workers, but they don't necessarily have the experience that the guys that have been here for 30 years had. How has that change been for you? Have you navigated that? And what are you still trying to get better at?
1: Well responsibility and as as a father, you try to um understand them where they come from you know um also try to guide them you know so it's 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 not easy you know um so the same that I would do for my kids, you know I do for them, you know, try to be there for them in the personal lives and stuff like that that way I know if they're having a bad day or a good day or whatever, you know, that way I'm able to work with them just like to do with my kids, you know? So it's, it's a challenge.
0: Well, and you've told me too how, you know, the, I, I think sometimes you hear like, oh, you got to keep your personal life out of work. But that's, even if you do, like that's kind of impossible. You know? No,
1: it's impossible. You know, everybody has problems. A lot of times um, you can never keep your personal life out of work. Cause you come to work and it's in your mind and your mind is running. So it's more like you bring it to work too. You know? So that's why it's also to have a good relationship with your employee. So that way you're able to understand, you know, what they're going through and help them out, you know? Cause if they're not, if they have a lot on their mind, they can have an accident here at work, you know, their mind's running and stuff like that. So, um, yeah it's kind of it's it's, it's 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 good to have a good relationship with them, you know so no i think this is also good to know what's going on in the personal lives that way you could also give them advice you know if you have it try to help them out
0: yeah well, I, I think you know back to the point of being a small business i think you know it's not just about of course you we have to worry about production and making money but i think you know, when you take care of the whole person, the the rest of it all takes care of itself. And I, I think, you know, even I know we've we've been dealing lately with, you know, with the inexperience, we've had some, uh, you know, reworks we've had to do. We've had to go back and and do some things again, and and really just focus on teaching. Um, and I I think the point that I know you and I have talked about, and I've talked about with my dad and with others, is that. You know, that's, that's natural. Those, you know, this is all, we're, we're very early, especially like in, in your area of the shop where we have a lot of younger guys, you know, these are the early days. So this is where the teaching happens. And, you know, to think that we're never going to make a mistake is obviously, you know, that's not reality. Yeah.
1: We're human. So yeah, we all make mistakes.
0: Yeah. And, and really the, sometimes the best way to, to learn is to make that mistake. Cause then Sadly. you know what it feels like, you know what to look for and it motivates you not to screw up again. Yes. And so that's one thing that I think, um, that's a message I think we're trying to communicate and really just trying to make it like, it's a teaching moment and, you know, we can all get better from the mistakes. And, you know, I think, I don't know what would you say, just owning up to it, learning from it, making sure, okay, what am I, what am I learning from this? Yeah. It's
1: taking responsibilities that way, you know, you're learning from your, you know, from your mistakes, you know, basically. And, um, mistakes are going to happen. So like I said, we got a young crew in the back and it's not like they used to work at a thermal spray department before, you know, this is all new to them. So there's no other shop around here that does that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's learning from the mistakes and correcting, you know, as you go.
0: And it's pretty complex stuff too, right? Like, I feel like, you know, you look at it and it's, Oh, we're, you know, just you're spraying metal on a part, but there's a lot more than meets the eye. You know, you have to get your speeds and your feeds and make sure that, you know, you're not, there's nothing, there's no contamination. Make sure the part is, is, um, wrapped thoroughly. Make sure that you're not, you're spraying the right diameter. There's a lot of things you're, a lot of different variables you're trying to, you know, make sure that they're all dialed in. Yes. And a lot more than meets the eye. And I think that's something that, um, I mean, I didn't fully appreciate until I'm getting down there and watching it and helping out a little bit. And I, I, and I think that's, you know, some of our younger guys too still trying to get a hang of it. Cause there's, you know, a million different things coming at you at once and you have to have it all dialed in. So on the surface, you're just watching the gun spray, but there's a lot more going more to on there. It.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's a lot more to it than just um, turning the gun on and setting on the bugle or on a robot. There's a lot more to it that you have to pay attention to. Um, your speeds, your fees, parameters, your gauges, your your pressures, your flows—you know—and and and also safety. Yeah, (laughs) that's like the number one thing. You know, make sure you have your suction on, your water pump on, and everything's running.
0: Yeah, well, I I think safety too. I think we've always been, you know, good at safety, but now there's we're taking much more of of a You know a very structured approach to it, and again, I think the point that obviously we're gonna have Jason on to talk about safety, but I think the the whole point of safety is, you know, it's really just to make sure everyone goes home the same way they came in, and you know, because you know, yeah, you know, there's, you know, you don't want to have production down, but really, it's, you know, you don't want like people should get better, people should become better by their work, not worse, and so that's the whole goal of safety. It's not to, you know be annoying or, or punish anyone or something like that. It's really just to make sure that everyone uh, is taken care of and in, comes to work and doesn't feel um, like they might injure themselves because especially with the work we do, you know, there's a lot of there, you know, it's obviously you know, with you guys, you're dealing with a lot of heat, a lot of um, different elements that could be risky. Mm-hmm. And we just want to make sure that all that's mitigated and everyone's being safe and not hurting themselves. Um, But we'll say that for Jason because that's his domain. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about, so you came in, you were thermal spraying, you were one of those young guys learning thermal spray. Yes. And then you get promoted to supervisor. Do you remember kind of that process? Do you remember that day? Like what was going through your head when that happened?
1: Well, it was actually, I started here in the beginning. It was like more of a, At that time, Matt Watson was my supervisor in the back. He would help me like sweep up, clean up, and stuff like that. Then I started masking and blasting, part prepping, and then I slowly, you know, I started um, coating plasma. You know, one of the first systems I started running, then programming the robot. Then it went to HPOF metallized rock eyed. Um, So, and there's there's so many thermal spray processes that we used to do in the past that we really don't do as much anymore. Um, and after years, I ended up becoming a lead man. Um, so I was a lead man for a certain amount of years. Um, actually, I believe it was 2006 when, when I became my, Gianni was born. And it was, matter of fact, it was just a couple of weeks in between, I believe, if I'm not mistaken um then from there you know after being a lead man for so many years i forgot when i've lost track of time (laughs) um then i became a supervisor so yeah it was it was a it was an interesting process you know it's a learning experience from each step of the way till now and i'm still learning you know so i never stopped learning learn something new every day yeah even from the younger crowd that comes in, they're knowledgeable, but they have their way of doing things are different from like back of the day. So they find an easier way and a easier way and a better way to do things. You know, so learning is nonstop, nonstop here.
0: Well, I think that's a, a great lesson, and you kind of touched on something else too, where, where you were saying that you know you learned on processes that were not really. Even necessarily doing a whole lot of anymore, and I think that's been kind of a constant in our business, or really anyone's business. In that, you know, the stuff that we were doing when you came in, uh, you know, some of those industries we're not even really doing much work in. No, you know, obviously like printing. Um, I mean, this podcast is digital. Where most of the stuff we do is digital. There's there's still printing work out there, but that used to be a big part of our business, and now it's shifted. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I think, and that's happened several times. I think that's just natural and. Um, I think change can be uncomfortable, um, but our businesses has changed continually and, and we're still here. And I think that um, the people and the businesses that can be most open to change, that's kind of where the opportunity is. Um, and, and you're kind of a good example of that. You know, you shifted, like we were talking about, you shifted a lot early in your career, found a good place here at HFW, I hope. Yeah. And, and you've shifted in, you know, you went from being kind of, you know, sweeping to being an operator, to being a lead man, to then being a supervisor. So you've kind of taken on a bunch of different roles and, and like you said, learned along the way. Yeah,
1: yeah, it has. It's been it's been a it's a challenge. <laughs> you know, it's a big challenge, and but well, that's what motivates me. Right? Yeah.
0: How have you changed personally from your twenties to today?
1: Oh, interesting question. I'm stuck in my 30s. I still think I'm 30 years old. Um, Change? Um, probably grew more as a person, you know, working with people, people's life stories, what they've gone through in life, what they go through in life, their personal life. So, yeah, it's, it changed, you know, it changes, it changes anybody. You know, you build a relationship with the guys downstairs on the floor. So yeah, it, it does change. Um, it's changed me. It's made me stronger in some ways, but also weak in some ways, you know. But um, awesome.
0: What is something that you're proud of? Either can can be at work or outside work as well.
1: Family. Family. Family.
0: What about your family?
1: It's families is something that. I'm proud of that. It keeps me going. You know, work harder, come to work, you know.
0: And then what is something that most people at HFW might not know about you? I don't know.
1: (laughs) I think everybody knows everything. (laughs) I'm not sure, to be honest with you.
0: Okay, let's try a different one. (laughs) So we've covered a lot about the past and kind of your journey and and HFW's journey, but what is something that you are looking forward to? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what are you excited about?
1: What gets me out of bed in the morning? My kids got to pay the bills, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. Um, I don't know. Coming to work, you know, um, I like coming to work, um, uh, even though we all complain about work, but <laughs> we still come to work each day in, day out. Um, even if I had have a day off of work, uh, I should have been at work, you know. So, yeah, it's, you know, coming to work, you know, working with the people, seeing the faces. That's like when you come home, you know, from work and you see your wife and your kids, you know, that's what. you know, same thing as family here. So.
0: Well, that's what we're trying to build here, too. And I I think we've always kind of had that. We just want to make sure we maintain it. And especially as we get younger guys in here, we kind of show them that that, you know, there's a lot of talk out there. And I think there's a lot of jobs where it's not necessarily the most fulfilling or it's just it's just grueling. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to go into work. You're dreading going going into work every day. And that's not fun.
1: No, it's not. You know, I it's like you have a good relationship with the people at work. um, So you don't drag going to work because you look forward to see them. Or you got to you know, tell them, uh, uh, talk about football, <laughs> you know, coming in the morning, oh, let's talk about the Bills, what happened? Hey, they look like crap. Yeah, no, we won, you know? So, yeah, it's like you come into work, you look forward, to, you know, having conversation with the guys.
0: Well, I, I, because you spend, you know, if you look at like an average day, you're spending more time here than for the most part you are with your family on a given work day. And so like, I I don't know. I I just think that you, you have to, it, it just would suck if you don't like, and if you don't like it, then I think, you know, let's find a way to change it. Let's so that you can, because you're spending at least 40 hours a week.
1: Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, I see the guys here more than I see my wife. I see more than I see my kids, you know? So, yeah, you see, you know, I see more of you than I see my <laughs> wife, you know. So Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like more like you spend more time here at work with the guys than you do with your own family. So that's why a lot of guys build a relationship. Close friends become girlfriends and they hang out after work or whatever and whatnot or you know, they go do things and stuff like that. So you build a good relationship with the guys here at work
0: yeah well, and I really love the idea of, of ideally, I think a workplace should be like a team because obviously there are there are metrics you need to meet and you you know it's hope i ideally in a family, it's unconditional love mm-hmm. you know even if you screw up a million times, you still love the person uh obviously, with a company, there has to be some sort of accountability, but you still love each other, like family, you're still spending a ton of time together, you want to be together. Um, and I think you look at any good team, that's what, Mm -hmm. that's the makeup of their team. Whether we were talking the bills, hopefully soon the Sabres, you know, like the, these people want to be together. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what we, we, that's the type of culture we want to foster here is. You know, people that want to be together and people that are mostly optimistic. Um, obviously the Monday after a, a bills loss. There's not a lot of optimism, but, (laughs) but I, you know, I, I think, and I think that's why like a person like you, like you're always, you know, like you said, trying to learn and and trying to just talk with people. And you, you know, you've, since I was little, you've told me about the importance of just getting to know people and just Mm -hmm. talking with them, not even about work. And I think that's what makes a a good team and and a good company.
1: Definitely. Definitely. That's, that's really important. And, and and having a relationship and just not just talking about work you know um the outside world you know we're all human and we're all normal you know we we're not robots you know we're not programmed be nice to but we're not <laughs> so yeah that's really important to um have that relationship
0: we talked about robots too and i think that's an interesting thing cuz i think sometimes in manufacturing the word robots or or automation scares people. I know from, at least from our perspective, you know, we're not trying, robots aren't replacing anyone here. No. I mean, it is not even in a question. We might, we're, you know, we've, obviously you've got some robots down, down in your area that we use, but I think it's more, it's more to help. It's more to aid. And, um, as we grow, um, I think you know, already we're looking at we could use so many people right now. It's re- the robots really are used to aid people and then to to be more efficient with the people we have, not to ever get rid exactly, of exactly.
1: Yeah, have. you still need a person to program the robot. Um, you still need a person to excuse me, light up the gun or the blaster. You know, robots are here to help the operator. You know, that way his job is not as hard. You know, don't take a toll on himself and on his body so that's what the robots are for as, as far as replacing people for robots that will never happen
0: especially in our line of work we're not producing a thousand pieces an hour or something no. we're you know doing small small jobs and in uh, small quantities and you know really complex stuff that a robot you know a robot thinks in ones and zeros and that can only get you so far in our business you have to know the what's going on beyond just the you know the process and you know we're not again we're not we're not a production shop we're doing things where you know we're we're either making a part new or repairing a part that has you know specific requirements and a robot at least to this point still doesn't understand that level of complexity so it can help us get rid of some of the manual tasks um where people you know you, you might have like the repetitive injuries or mm-hmm. you know they used to, it's kind of dangerous i think that's where you, you know we've tried to implement some robots and we'll continue to try to do that but it, um, it's never with the intent, I think, to ever get rid of anyone necessarily. No. It's all about how can we make make the job better, uh, make it easier, easier. And, and, and make production more efficient. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I think we've got most of... I think that's been a good conversation. Yeah. I guess one... Well, two two closing things. One, so you've been here for 20-plus years. I think you've touched on it a little bit, but what what's kept you here? I mean, that's... Especially now, people... You see people... It's it's very common to move around, especially after a couple of years. What's kept you here?
1: Um, honestly I think is more just I've had other opportunities. I've had and and they have offered me other opportunities, but one thing is I like here is the, the ownership. You know, it's more about family. Um That's one of the things, you know, because in the relationship that I had built with employees that has retired, too, like Russell, Dougie, um, in the past, there's other people that, you know, there's always people there that, you know, you have a close relationship. with. It's the people. And also one of the things that's kept me here because you never stop learning and there's still more room for improvement. I'm still learning a lot. There's so much stuff here that that I don't know that if I see somebody working on something, well, that's neat. I mean, I'll walk around one of the machines, I'm like, oh, that's kinda cool. You know, and I'll ask a question or whatever and you know, those it's the learning. The learning. Every day you learn. You know. And also I told you I had an opportunity and I ran with it. You know, and I've been here ever since. You know, I always said when I got hired, um, I, I told Matt Watson, "Give me an opportunity." He said, "Okay," you know, and that was it, and I'm here.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's you had so many good things there, and um, I just think you are just a, a phenomenal example of, you know, what you can become at HFW, and, and you know, especially for our younger guys that are just starting out. You know, where you were 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I think it's a great example of, you know all you need is curiosity, hard work, show up on time.
1: Yeah. Attendance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it It's pretty, it, it's pretty basic on, on the, on the face of it, but it's just that discipline to do it day yeah. in and day out. And I think you've proven that. And um, yeah, I, I, I hope that HFW has, has helped give you a good life and you've been an instrumental to the company's success. And um, you know, that's what, that's why we're lucky to have you not just as a role as a supervisor, but as a mentor and as a leader. Um, and I hope that it's been as fulfilling to you as as you've yeah, been to the company.
1: Yeah, it's been good. It's been good to me. Been good to me and my family. Um, so I'm still here.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, awesome! Well, this has been this has been great. Again, I want to thank you, Elijah, because. Um, Eliza's sort of the guinea pig, I guess, for this side of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Eliza recommended like five other people that would be good, but then I tried to get him. He's like, ah, why don't you get someone else? But <laughs> I, So I really do appreciate you. I think this has been great. I think you have a great first person to kick off the, the more personal side of the podcast. And um, I know there will be more to come, even if I have to bribe people. Yeah. So with that, thanks, everyone. Uh, and we'll, we'll see you on the next one.
1: All right, bye.